0: Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini.
1: Well, the top of the morning to you and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. I love that tune. That's uh, Brogue Wave is the band that plays that. That song is called The Cliffs of Moher. And I was just recently home in Ireland, and I visited the Cliffs of Moher. And uh, what a majestic place that is. And i got to tell you, I had the goosebump moment. I played that song over and over again on my phone with a bunch of people standing around, standing over the Cliffs of Moher. So if you want to get a little Irish fire in your system, I'd get that tune. That's uh, the Brogue Wave, lads. Today we're going to cover the five keys to mastery. This is actually part two of a program we did where we talked about the pathway to mastery. And again, based on the work by George Lonard, who was the author of the best-selling book called Mastery. And uh, George identified five keys to mastery, not just in the martial arts, but in everything you want to master in your life. And I have certainly studied this book. I have put these things in practice. They are very much part of my life today in many areas of my life. So if you have something in your life you want to master, I think this is the podcast for you today. So in the pathway to mastery, I shared some of the pitfalls we face along the way and how to relish the journey. We discovered how mastery is this mysterious process during that which is at first difficult but becomes progressively easier and more pleasurable through practice. Well, today we're going to learn these five keys to mastery as taught by some of the world's greatest achievers and how they've used it to succeed at the highest levels. So let's have a listen. Let's go uh, back in time and let me introduce you to Mr. George Lonard. George is no longer with us, but his wisdom still is. So now we've built out the case for what mastery is, what challenges it, what undermines it, what tendencies we have. And this is real important. Say the word tendency. I don't want you to say, I'm a hacker and I'm a dabbler. I have a tendency towards. Does that make sense? Very important. Very important. And so now we're going to get into the practical applications of mastery and making sure we light the path, to keep you going down the path and to not stray off the path and do better on the path, okay? So let's take a look at George and how he explains this, Let's take a look.
0: From my study of Aikido, every little attempt at overreaching or playing tricks to get better or trying to do a quick fix, they just don't work in Aikido. I notice that students who consistently excel follow five traits. I call these traits the five keys to mastery.
1: I just find something refreshing about an 84-year-old kicking butt. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So here's the five traits, and then we're going to delve into them. Here they are. Write them down fast and furious, and then we'll go nitty-gritty. First is instruction. And when we give you a number one, it's a number one. And by the way, these will be variations from the book in some regards. But you know what? We have a bit of an experience ourselves. Buffini Company's been coaching people in a way that no one ever has for 20 years over a million and a half hours of coaching calls Okay, no one's ever done anything like that and so we see these same patterns and everything we're talking about here shows up again so it starts with what's the first thing second is practice so you get instruction then you go practice okay here's the third one surrender number four intentionality intentionality And then number five is the edge. We'll talk about all these things. So read them out. What's number one? Two. Three. Four. Five. So that's a great thing for you to remember and remind yourself of when you leave here. Andrew Paul is here, our very own Navy SEAL. We love you, Andrew. Been with us for years. Okay. Those dudes are masters. They go into very dangerous, dangerous places where their lives are at stake. And they're able to do these extraordinarily difficult things in highly stressful scenarios. Why? Because of instruction. Because of practice. They have to surrender to the process. So if they go down here to Carnado and get beaten up and have to surrender to that whole process to become a team, they get rid of all the individuals and they get the team. And 150 or 200 guys come in and 20 guys come out. Four, this very intentional. Five, they got the edge. You follow? You'll start to see this in many things. That's one example, okay? But you'll see this in everything. It's like Perlman doesn't look like a Navy SEAL, but in his specialty, he is. Does that make sense? You may not be aware that you are in yours. That's the difference. Those guys know they are. You're not sure you are. Does that make sense? Okay. A good instructor points out. A good instructor points out. You tell me. Anybody here have a coach? What are some of the things your coach points out? Okay, how many of you ever had a coach say, you might need to make a few more calls? How many of you have ever had them remind you about that? What else? Okay, what you can do. They remind you what you can do. What else? What you've accomplished. Because we forget. Is that true? Which means we get spatial disorientation. Okay, they speak into your life. Okay. Okay. And they help you focus. They point of accountability. Right. And then, okay, here's where you're, you might have a little weakness. We'll go help you here. Right. Celebrate, Celebrate. Hey. Yeah. For those that need that. Yeah. All these different things. A good instructor. And there's a hundred more I could put up here. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. So what is there anything good about not having an instructor? Of course there is. <laughs> Why would so many people not have one? Here it is. The good thing about no instruction is freedom. How many of you like freedom? Let me see your hands. Yeah! That's why those of you even with the coach choose freedom a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> the path to mastery, and you'll see the process. of Surrendering to the process is ultimately the ultimate freedom. It's the ultimate freedom. You're free to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. You become a master of something. You get compensated as a master. You get received as a master. You get seen as a master. The bad thing about no instruction is this. It just takes much longer to learn. In our home where we lived for the past eight years, I had this beautifully designed gym with Hawaiian sliding doors and a panoramic (laughs) view. And I would go in there... (laughs) So about eight weeks ago, I hired an old friend of mine who's been training with some high-end trainers to come and coach me at Jeff Ginsberger, okay? Many of you know Jeff. And Jeff's been working for a guy you've seen on TV, on a show called Strong or whatever else, working with professional athletes and whatever else. And he's been in the, this world for 15 years, but he's been working on it. And here's the thing that's happened in the last eight weeks. I realized that I have been wasting my time completely, I had total freedom because I would go into the gym every day when I wanted, wasting my time, completely wasting my time. And, you know, I have injuries that I haven't worked on for years. I dislocated my shoulder and tore up my rotator cuff when I was 16 years of age. And in Ireland, the way they treat that is with a sponge and water. (laughs) And I played the second half. I have never done anything about that. I had a broken leg where I had 13 surgeries and my right leg used to be my long leg and now it's my short leg and there's all kinds. And I have never rehabilitated all these other things. And we're going through these exercises and it's like, what am I doing? And he's having me do these things, walking up and down the street in front of my house doing this and this. And I'm like, (laughs) eh. I just bought this gym. I got all this heavy weight. We got stocks, man. Let's go. And for six weeks, I couldn't get near it. I'm doing the little girly walk up and down. What the heck? Are you with me? And so one of the things we did is I had a body fat test done when I started with him. We had the full immersion. You got to, you know, suffocate underwater and blow out and all that kind of stuff. And I go do this thing and I've dropped 5% of my body fat in three months. I'm just saying crazy, but I'm getting good instruction. You guys with me? And I'm just, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. I honest to God, I, after the first session, I said, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. That's it. And I presume I know nothing. And it turns out it's true. <laughs> and I had all this freedom, but I had no freedom. I didn't have freedom from pain. I didn't have freedom from mobility. I didn't have freedom of feeling the concept of not only getting in shape, but the hope and confidence of how good a shape I can get into. I didn't have any of that. So I got the good instruction. Does that make sense? Here's the quote that I dedicate to the coaching staff. A good teacher is like a candle. It consumes itself to light the way for others. That is dedicated to the staff at Buffco right there. Yep. So what's the first one? What's the first key? So once you get instruction, what's the second thing you do? Practice. Practice. Practice Practice is not something you do. It's something you... Something you are. Practice is not something you do, it's something you are. Okay? Point B. It can be what? Say it out. Say it the way you really feel it. That's why you can't stand your teenager saying that to you. How about you spend 20 years of your life? Trying to get people to write notes, <laughs> calls, and do Popeyes. I have put so much different lipstick on that same pig in twenty years. I mean, there was orange juice crushers, and then there was gold mine equipment, and I mean, you name it, we've done it. Now there's. $20 million worth of equipment at the Average Success Tour. i have spent $450,000 to put one of those events on to try to teach people in a modern world today to write a freaking note, <laughs> to do a call or to do a pop-by. Now, is there more to it? Of course there is. So I've had to come up with extraordinary ways to try to find exciting ways to invigorate, A, people who've been on the journey to stay on the journey, and people who are new to it that it understand that it applies in the modern world today. Oh, by the way... Y'all have to do it. And sometimes it can be... Say it like it's real. Anybody here been to the Martech conference? Okay, you guys enjoy that? So we wanted to put a different spin. We want to show things. Here's the fundamentals. And then here's all this new tech. And here's all this technology. And here's what you can do. And here's how you can do it. There are 35 separate and unique apps or tech tools that are discussed in MarTech, 35, 35 tech tools and apps and things that you get right away to install in your business. What's the number one feedback we get on MarTech? Need more more tech. (laughs) It's just, you guys do not have enough tech in that event. You need to kick it up a notch. Our staff, we need to give them more tech. We need to get more tech. They want more tech. My kids want more ice cream. Here's why that ain't happening. (laughs) And you have to run the risk. Oh, uh, Buffini, he thinks high technology is a fax machine. Uh, We have more technology in one of our buildings than they've ever seen in their careers. We have tens of millions of dollars invested in tech. But here's the deal. It's all designed to help you do the same thing. Build relationships, connect with people, exceed their expectations. The dynamic is... People say, oh, we need more tech and we need this. Now, let me give you a little fact, okay? I'm going to give you a little aside. I'm going to put a little real estate stuff in here. The Deming Institute, you ever heard of Charles Deming, okay? The Deming Institute has analyzed in the last 20 years the 13 largest industries in the U.S. and Canada, and real estate is one of those. So let's think at 1996. 1996, Netscape was the only Internet browser. You guys remember Netscape? old people. Do you remember Netscape? Has there been a lot of technology since 1996 to 2016? Yes or no? So what's happened in the last 20 years? Well, the other 12 industries, their average production is up 17%. So the technological changes and the innovations and all that type of stuff has increased the productivity of those companies by 17%. 12 out of 13. And then there's the special group my people and real estate. What's happened in real estate since the last 20 years? Is there more technology in real estate in the last 20 years? By how much? Probably 20 times. Would you guys agree? The average realtor in 1996 sold 12 homes, the average realtor last year sold 8.8 homes. We want more tech. Want more tech? Gotta give them more tech, gotta give them more tech, more tech. <laughs> <laughs> and they can call me whatever they want. Because I'm only interested in one thing. I'll use whatever technology available to impact and improve somebody's life. I'll use whatever technology to help somebody improve their business, improve their finances, improve their marriage, improve their life, improve their health, whatever it is. Whatever's out there, we will buy it, we will design it, we will build it, we will create it, we'll make it better than anybody else. But these things are the salve that people use to hijack the path to mastery. Are you guys with me? Okay. Practice. Sometimes there's no visible signs of progress. Sometimes there's no visible signs of progress, as in most times. Most times. Before you leave this event, you know one thing you're going to do? I'm going to have you write the best personal note you ever wrote in your life. You're going to write one as a master. Let's see if we can do that. Then we take the next one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Babe Dietrichson Zaharias was the U.S. Olympic pentathlon champion and brilliant woman. She then, later in life, took up golf, much like my bride, so an Olympian who, okay, we're just forecasting my future, she went on to win the U.S. Open in her 40s. Okay, an amazing woman, considered the best female athlete of the last half century. And I, I don't know what male was better than her. But she said this, the formula for success is simple. Practice and concentration, then more practice and more concentration. Okay, I've talked about him a few times. We just pulled this down off the Internet because I wanted to kind of make a point. Uh, let's take a look at Mr. Steph Curry and the best advice he ever got. Let's take a look. I'm Stephen
0: Curry, and my life is basketball. The best advice I've ever received from a coach is to practice a drill until you can't get it wrong. Some people practice a drill until they get it right, but the hard workers and the the perfectionists when it comes to their craft, you know, practice a drill until you can't get it wrong.
1: So we're going to write one note by the time this event's over, and my goal is that within a period of time, and many of you are very close to this, every note you write will be the note of a master. And then you'll start making calls, and every call you make, Be the call of a master. And every Popeye you do will be the Popeye of a master. Here's the thing I talk about this stuff all the time. I've been talking about it for 20 years. I would go on a listing appointment and I would walk away in my briefcase with a signed listing agreement back when it was paper. And I would have a signed listing agreement and the property would be in good condition to show. It would be priced right. And I would have at least one referral from that person before I left that night. That's not some spiel I came up with on stage. These were little games I came up with in myself to see how much better I could get. And oh, by the way, when I did that, it, it had profound impact on my, my life and my business because now I was being so efficient. So when I came up with games, how many deals can I do in 30 hours a week? These are games I came up with inside myself, practicing my craft all the time. I used to do this when I was in the first 10 years of my speaking, I wanted to get better and better, so I'd do all kinds of different things. So when someone new came on the road, we'd go out for dinner as a team and they'd have to come up with one crazy word. And they'd have come up with one crazy word, and I would seamlessly integrate it into the seminar at a very crucial time in such a way that the audience thought it was part of the presentation. Like, I used ghetto fabulous in a sales presentation one time. (laughs) And it's just getting better at what you do. It's getting better at what you do. Practice is the key. Here's what George Lonard said about practice and its importance to mastery. Let's take a listen.
0: Practice is the magic formula. That's what's magic. A lot of other things about it, talent is important, but not nearly as important as is practice. You've got to be willing to spend most of your time on a plateau where you don't seem to be learning very much. A long time. Now then suddenly, after a long time on the plateau, you have a little spread upward, suddenly you get better. Over a period of days or weeks, you're suddenly making these great improvements. Ah, at last I'm learning. Wrong. They are not learning in the spirit upward. They are learning while they're on the plateau. We are practicing all the time. Did you ever go to a dinner party and there are eight people at the dinner party and seven of them are talking happily about some positive things they could do with their community, but diner number eight, he'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can't you see that will never work? Point A, point B, point C. You wonder how the hell he got so good at it. He's been practicing that for 40 years. He's been practicing being negative for 40 years.
1: (laughs) True? Can we practice the wrong thing, yes or no? Can we practice negativity? Can we run it over and over and over again in our minds? Why do we need to do the affirmations? Why do we need to do these things? I'm going to teach you a process today called kinesthetic affirmations. To, to actually align it with your body and reprogram the neural pathways in your brain. Why? Because we can't be doing it to ourselves. we got to practice the good stuff. Are you guys with me? Great quote. Be willing to surrender who you are for what you could become. Be willing to surrender who you are for what you could become. It's a great price to pay. I know it's safe where you are, but you want that talent. You know you want it. It's what you want. And you got to go after it. It's there, but the price to be paid is you have to give up what you have to go get better. Here's the thing. Here's what surrender looks like. Surrender to your teachers and the demands of your discipline. Surrender to your teacher and the demands of your discipline. Surrender doesn't mean you abandon your brain and become a Kool-Aid drinker. It is you've chosen your teacher, you've chosen the philosophy you want to subscribe to, you believe in it, you're, it's aligned with it, I'm going to go for it, then just surrender to it. I want you to write this down. For 90 days, I'm going to do what the hell my coach tells me to do. For 90 days, it'll shock you. For 90 days, I'm going to do what my coach tells me to do. Whatever they tell me to do, I'm just going to do it. Any Irish people or people of Irish descendants, you need to do it to prove them wrong. (laughs) Oh, I'll show you. I'll show you. This stuff doesn't work. You tell me to do it, I'm going to do it and I'll show you it doesn't work. For 90 days, do whatever your coach asks you to do. How many of you have fought your coach regularly? How many of you, that's most of your coaching sessions? Can I see your hand? Give it 90 days. I'm not asking you to turn your brain off. You already made some decisions. Just see what happens. 90 days. Second, be willing to look like a fool. I have great experience at this. I try all kinds of things. My staff will say, hey, we want to do this and we want to do that. Give it a whirl. You try stuff. You try stuff. You give it a shot. And the reason is your own self-worth and self-image is not on the line. You're on the path to mastery, and that's, sometimes that's one of the prizes. I'm going to try this. Okay, that didn't work out. Okay, or, geez, what can I learn from that? Or, you know what? Hey, that's kind of surprising. Next, there are times when we forfeit hard-won competency in order to advance to the next stage. There's very few people on this planet I admire like Joe Nego. You gotta understand that Joe and I were peers this whole time, and we're peers as we grow as human beings. And we grow in different ways, by the way. Okay? And we grow at different times. It took me a long time to convince Joe to come out and to come and present and teach and train. It took me a long time. When he finally decided to do it, when he came out, and I, we're, we're going through this and how he communicates and how I communicate is different, so on and so forth, and people would come to the event and they go, "Huh, oh, that's not how Brian said it. Or that's not how Brian says it. Or this And here was a guy, super accomplished, one of the most accomplished people in his space in the whole history of real estate and all that, this and any other and he had to go back to ground zero now here's the thing that people don't know he was willing to go back to ground zero and to give up all of this hard-fought competency of a guy that I would go on appointments with him and just sit in awe of how he would work with his customers and how he would run his community, and just what he did in his profession to come back over here to go to this next level and had to go back to ground zero and then had to work at the craft and worked at the craft. And by the way, he worked at the craft and asked me so many questions because a lot of things I did were intuitive to me. Listen. And sometimes he wouldn't have that same intuition, but he said, I want to learn that and I want to learn that as a skill. And it forced me to break down what I did and how I did it and actually to study my craft better. And he made me a hell of a lot better because of it. Does that make sense? And then he learned that and learned that and learned that and learned that and learned that. I meet people all the time. Oh, I want to learn to speak. I want to do this. I want to do that. But I want to do what I know how to do and I want to do it my way. Really? You want to get to the next level. You've got to be willing and you're going to have to go through some things and that's the caterpillar and the pupae and the chrysalis. Each one of those stages is a little messy. Each one of those stages is kind of a struggle. And sometimes there's some steps back along the way. It's not sometimes. There's going to be. There's going to be. Number four, intentionality intentionality. And so the first piece here with intentionality is visualization. Visualization. Visualization is the deep connection between the God-given ability for you's imagination to picture it along the lines of that which is the purpose or that which is in your heart. Does that make sense? So those little stirrings and those little patterns you've had since you were a kid and little things that have developed and shown themselves to be what they are. A lot of times we're in a big rush for that but you got to picture it and you got to picture it before it happens. And the way you get good at doing that is you have to practice that. And sometimes it's this, you're driving up to an appointment, you get there two minutes early, you turn off the car and you actually picture yourself going in on the appointment, the conversation you're going to have, the way it's going to go, what you're going to do, how you're going to serve, how you're going to listen, how it's going to go. You ever try that? Okay. In so many different things. Again, the master himself, Carlos Santana, he did this as a little boy. He did this as a little boy, as a transplant growing up in Mexico and then moving to Tijuana and then moving in the 60s to San Francisco, okay? And he's in high school and he's telling people about his dream and what he sees in his mind. And you'll see what the normal people do when they hear someone with a vision. Let's take a look.
0: People were laughing at me the last day of school when they said, well, what are you going to do, man? I says, I'm going to hang out with Beanie King and Michael Bloomfield and... And they're just and people go, <clears throat> they actually started laughing at me like, wow, man, you really, really like tripping. I go, no, you're tripping. <laughs> because see, that's all I'm going to do. I mean, you just had that picture. And I knew, I mean, I, I didn't care if a whole school would have laughed at me. I would have said, go ahead, laugh. But I'll show you that for me, it's about as natural as doing this, look, with my eyes closed, because I just felt that I'm not an accident.
1: People think these folks just stand up and play the guitar and that's all they do. That there's no more thought behind it. I'm going to say this to you. All of these great masters that I have had a chance to interact with or interview or meet, they all have tremendous depth behind them. And sometimes it might not be depth for all things in life, but in regards to their area of expertise, there's tremendous thought and depth behind it. That's why I so appreciate you all doing this kind of work, you know. Intentionality, you visualize, and then you also have thoughts, images, and feelings play into your success. Your thoughts and your images and feelings playing to your success. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Every master is a master of vision. Every master is a master of vision. And the term visionary is thrown around all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. So let me, let me give you a very simple example that will help you, and then we'll show you a kind of a crackly video, but it's a great explanation. Anybody know who this guy is? Jason Day. Anybody know who Jason Day is? Okay, he's the number one golfer in the world. Now, let me kind of tell you his backstory. Jason Day is not your typical country club kid. So he grows up, he's a young man. His father dies when he's 10 or 11 years old. His mother, single mom now, working, striving. Kid starts getting into trouble. Starts hanging out with the wrong crowd, starts drinking, getting into trouble. He was interested in golf and he played a bit of golf. So the mother works a night job to send her son to this boarding school that focuses on golf. And the kid's a wild hair in this golf academy. Are you guys with me? And he meets a coach, a coach that kind of mentored him and brought him along and had to weather the process and go through the process. By the way, the next time you see Jason Day play golf, the guy who's his caddy was the teacher at the academy and has been with him all these years. By the way, the caddy gets 10% of the earnings, so he's doing okay. And (laughs) how did Jason Day become the number one golfer in the world? Because here's what would happen. He had the most talent. He had great talent, but he would never win anything. And what would happen is when the stress came on him, he would implode. How many of you ever sometimes hit the self-destruct button? Could I see your hands? So he learned to use visualization to picture in his mind what he could be and what he could do prior to it happening. And so there's this, this was kind of shot on a phone, but it's, it's a fabulous interview of his process of visualization. This guy's become the number one golfer in the world. He's the number one golfer in the world by using this short little technique. That we can all use. Let's take a look. I had a chance to ask Jason, uh, you know, how that process actually works for him.
0: It kind of worked into my pre-shot routine where, if I am under a bit of stress, there is a lot of emotion and, and a lot of, you know, just controlling the stress levels. Yeah, it does help a lot just to re- really kind of relax before you go into the shot. Really try and focus on what you really need to do to go and hit the shot that you need to hit. And. Um, it's kind of worked its way into be more of a you know a relaxing visualization kind of technique going into a shot, more so than just kind of seeing the shot now. Do you see the whole shot or just parts of the shot? Starting point. I see my swing. I see. So say for instance, I'm standing here right now. I'm standing behind, looking at me swing to the target. And uh, once I see that, I see my setup, and then I see the swing go back and then forth through. I see the ball take off, and whatever, whatever I see, it draw, fade, high, low, uh, and I see it bounce and
1: roll. One of the things we're going to do before we leave here is, I'm going to put it in your mind now, because I know how the mind works, is before we leave here, we're going to do a three-minute exercise where you are going to sit up in a chair, breathe deeply, and visualize yourself as you can be. Next, the edge. So watch this. Look up here. Now, this is very important. How to have the edge without being edgy. How to have the edge without being edgy. Oh, by the way, where's all my ladies? Let me see all the ladies in the room. Let me say this to you. Success for a woman is challenging because there are still social preconditions or notions. So some women have felt the need to break through those social constraints to be this edgy chick. Are you guys with me? and that you go be a grinder. So you get the achievement, but you kind of lose yourself along the way. You don't have to. You don't have to. None of those norms or none of those conditions or none of those things. And the real estate business is full of it. Would you guys agree? And, and I'm not just speaking to ladies, but I'm talking to everybody, is that you can have the edge without being edgy. You can have the edge and be fully who you are. That's really what it's all about and on your path to mastery, the reason why we develop the edgy, the edgy stuff comes out is because we feel like I'm not enough. The reason why the edgy stuff comes out is because we're in a pressure situation and I've got to put on this thing and I've got to treat people a certain way or I've got to do this and then I kind of hide behind it. That shield will never, 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 never help you. And so the thing is you can have the edge without being edgy. The same for all people. Does that make sense? And so let's talk about this. The first thing with the edge is pushing the limits of higher performance. Sometimes to the point of stupidity. Okay? Joe used to do things uh, 30 and 30. We're going to sell 30 homes in 30 days. That's kind of crazy. The average realtor selling eight homes. We're going to sell 30. Okay? Then they'd have the 70 by 70. 70 homes sold by 70 degrees. The Chicago goal. Okay? That doesn't work too well in San Diego. But it's like, okay, when have you ever done that? Have you ever done a stupid goal? How many of you have some extra notes left over? Could I see? How many of you know somebody with some extra notes? Maybe you do an edgy goal. Say, I got 250 of these bad boys. I'm going to knock them out this weekend. Do you think you'll be better at it by the time you're done? Here's George on the edge.
0: There is a human striving for self-transcending. It's part of what makes us human, with all of our flaws and everything else. We want to go a little further than we've ever gone before, and maybe even further than anyone else has gone before. And so we want to play the edge. Each of us potentially is a genius. Each of us is unique in the entire universe. Each of us is more complex, more highly organized, more beautifully organized than the entire physical known universe.
1: We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we are beautifully designed with genius and talent inside. And if we get on the path and stay on the path, that genius is going to come to the outside. And it'll be different than we expect. But the results will be spectacular. But it will be different. And it's not something you necessarily control. That What you control is practice. What you control is intentionality. What you control is surrender. You can control those things. The five keys, all the five keys you can control. Would you guys agree? I have a little phrase. It's can I. Okay? Not we can't. Can I do this? Can I? It's can I. Stands for constant and never-ending improvement. Constant and never-ending improvement. Now you people profile me and go, well, that's because you're a refiner. Maybe. But I'm also rapid and I realize mastery doesn't happen rapidly. So all of this, you can, you're not a victim to your profile either. Ultimately, this is where your shortcomings become your assets. So you practice, you visualize, you surrender, you do all the things and what happens is as you grow, those things that are your shortcomings start to pop up. Your gifts come to the forefront cuz those are just bursting out of you. But what happens is you can't grow your gifts beyond your shortcomings cuz they become the anchor and all that happens is there's more taut on the rope. So we still focus on our gifts. We still find our strengths and work on those things. But well, along the path, it will expose your weaknesses. And the question is, are you humble enough to admit them, to expose them, and to go to work on them? And when you are, remarkable things happen. Because a little bit of improvement here, just a little bit, just a, just an itty-bitty improvement in your weaknesses unleashes huge improvement with your natural talents. Does that make sense? little bit of improvement in a weakness unfetters the talent. We want to, again, we want to keep focusing on the talent, but as we pursue, it's going to expose weaknesses, and that's why the weaknesses become our greatest assets. Does this make sense? Daniel Laporte, a Canadian speaker, very clever lady, said you will always be too much of something for someone. Too big, too loud, too soft, too edgy. If you round out all your edges, you lose your edge. Does that make sense? So the edge is get keep close into that edge so you can keep growing. Let me go through this real quick. Here's the tools for mastery. First, why is it so hard to change? Everyone resists change because good or bad, you got to expect some backsliding. just happens. You're going to do well here and then you go back and you go well here and you go back and it's okay. It's part of the process. It's what I call the elasticity of success. It's like a rubber band. You ever stretch out a rubber band? The more you stretch out the rubber band, the more loose it becomes. Does that make sense? Next resistance to change is proportional to the size and speed of the change not if it's good or bad but this one i want you to circle highlight and remember from this event resistance to change is proportional to the size and speed of the change not if it's good or bad what happens is when you feel this resistance to that which you're trying to accomplish you'll often sometimes people go oh that's a sign that i shouldn't be doing this that's a sign that i'm on the wrong track and here's what it is the greater change you're trying to make is the greater resistance you'll experience Have you ever worked out with those rubber exercise bands? The more you stretch them, the more they resist. Is that a true statement? Well, that's the same as a human being. And the science behind it is called homeostasis, okay? So you have to be aware of how homeostasis works. Homeostasis. And it's interesting, what's the first part of that word? You deal with people all the time that change, is that right? Homeostasis is like a homing pigeon. We wanna go back to what we know. Our family just moved. Six, eight weeks ago, okay? Got ourselves a new house. Nice neighborhood, lots of great things. Now, here's the thing. Kids are sideways. The dogs are in revolt. Guess <laughs> who's <laughs> out every morning at 6 o'clock walking them and teaching them where the new place to poop is? And then that's nice. Ain't nice. Yeah, so <laughs> the point is homeostasis. The minute you make a change, here's what you want to do. The minute you say you make a change, your courage... <laughs> like a homing pigeon, like a homing pigeon, like a homing pigeon, like a homing pigeon. It's called homeostasis. We get out of our comfort zone. We get out of our comfort zone. It's homeostasis. You've developed a home. By the way, most people, where do they build their home? Firmly on the first plateau they get to. This is where most people's home is. And that's why most people struggle. Most people have mediocre jobs, mediocre careers, mediocre marriages, mediocre finances, mediocre relationships, mediocre health. This is hard. This is not new. The human condition is not new. Okay, famous Irish philosopher Socrates said, the secret of change is to focus all your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. Because thousands of years ago, when people were trying to make a change, they'd focus all their energy on the old. And it's, it, But it's changed, it's changed, it's changed, it's changed. Okay? We move in a new house. Bev and I all the time, we go, man, this house doesn't have any storage. This house doesn't have any storage. The house is 11,000 square feet. Oh, it doesn't have any storage. doesn't have any storage. It doesn't have storage. <laughs> it have storage that looks like the storage we came from. We're there this weekend. Bev had like 22 boxes. We open up this cabinet. She's Next thing you know, all 22 boxes are gone somewhere. Because apparently there's more storage in this house than we thought. You can't even see it. And it's all over the bloody place. Because it just doesn't look like the storage we built in the previous house. Everything is like this. In every circle of your life that you go to try, the natural bent is to do this. That's why we need the five keys. Next, develop a support system, particularly with those who've gone before you. So you want to have a support system, of instruction. You want to have a support system of support, and that's what your coaching is, and you have a support system of each other. And that's what's so remarkable about what y'all have done with each other. And there's a lot of people in this room have helped people in this room be much better versions of themselves. Can I get an amen? Ogmandino, one of my all-time heroes, says, take the attitude of a student. Never be too big to ask questions. Never know too much to learn something new. I see this all the time, and this is where the mediocre comes in all the time. They already know. Anybody get a chance to go by the podcast studio? Yes, it's pretty neat, isn't it? One of the things you'll see behind the desk and all the fancy stuff in the studio and the Irish things and da da, da, da is you'll see this brass plaque. And Carl Imparo from Michelangelo Boulinorati and it says, I am still learning. I am not the finished product up here. Not even close. But I am a work in progress. And you know what? It's getting better all the time. It's getting better all the time. Right, babe? Yeah. So... Next. You gain energy by using energy. You gain energy by using energy. It's just a physical fact. Okay. I was up at six o'clock this morning, working out hard. So I'd have the energy for the day. Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense to me. It's counterintuitive. Would you guys agree? I'm working out hard knowing I'm going to put in a 14, 15 hour day today, but that's what helps. And it doesn't make any sense. I should be resting. I love this quote. It says, I'm not lazy. I'm just on energy save mode. (laughs) Next, maintain physical fitness. Okay. By the way, it's hard to be a master if your energy is getting sourced out to these other things. Arabian proverb says, he who has health has hope and he who has hope has everything. Acknowledge the negative and accentuate the positive. Many people think that in order to be positive, you can't acknowledge the negative. That's just not true. You've got to acknowledge the negative. Here's the challenge. This is the difficulty. It's called life. We say it's a good life, not a great life. Why? Because somewhere inside the infinite love of God, there's a place for suffering. Okay? And it happens. And there's challenges. i got close relationships. I spent this weekend, I called a coach named Merrill Parvin. Anybody remember Merrill Parvin? Yeah. Merrill has worked for me for 10 years and he is in the last stages of his life. And Merrill will be gone within a couple of weeks. And I talked to him and his bride for however long, many hours this week. It was fabulous. Inspirational. Giving me life. Inspirational with their hope. And they acknowledge the negative. Death is a negative. Illness is a negative. But accentuate the positive. I caught on the phone to call somebody to support. We've been economically helping, whatever, other things... And just to give some good energy to it, and I came away inspired by someone who has incredible perspective, acknowledges the negative, but accentuates the positive of a good life lived. You guys with me? Bing Crosby. Remember Bing? Do you guys remember the song he used to sing? Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. No? Hang on to the affirmative, don't mess with Mr. In-between. You remember that? To illustrate my last remark, Jonah in the whale, Noah in the ark. You remember this whole thing? And it's it's a great little 40s riff, on and on and on and on and on. People have been going through this. uh, There's a lot of old stuff here. The path to mastery is an old path. Does that make sense? It's not a high-tech highway. It's not a high-tech highway. It can have high-tech signs on the side of it, but it's not a high-tech highway. Get on the pathway to mastery and choose to stay on it. Here's the thing i got a dirty little secret for you. You already are on it. You're already on the path to mastery. Some of you are much farther down this path than you know. We focus on our failures. We focus on our mistakes. We focus on what doesn't go right. But here's the thing. You're already doing so many things right. You've already done disciplines. You've already grown yourself. You've already made some changes. You've already seen some results. You've already had some success. You might not be able to play the guitar like Santana or Itzek Perlman or Steph Curry with a bubble. What are you on the path to mastery to? Think about it. In many ways, the people in this room are on the most difficult path to mastery of all time. You're actually on the pathway to master relationships. We have a relationship marketing system. You're also on the pathway to master the most difficult person you'll ever meet yourself, or Self, as we say. Are you guys with me? You're trying to master yourself and master the whole process of relationships. And many of you are making beautiful music. And sometimes, yeah, it doesn't go right. And sometimes it's an off note. And sometimes, uh, and it, it, great. But you're mastering yourself and mastering relationships and you're trying to master this little system and become a master in your profession. You're already on this path. This is a master's class for people who can receive it. Not everybody could receive this. Do you think the average rank-and-file realtor could sit and they'd be like, what the hell is this about? Would you guys agree? What is this about? Where's the how-to's? What do I do now? Great. And I have compassion to be able to help people right where they're at there. But you're already on the path and many of you don't even know it. And you beat yourself up all the time and you beat yourself off the path. You beat yourself and you knock yourself off the path because you see somebody else. Somebody's a Roman candle. Boom, they're flying. Oh, somebody's doing this. Somebody's got that going on. They got this. They did this app and they did this. And then I got to go, okay what's my path to mastery? Hmm, where is this? Oh yeah, real exciting stuff. (laughs) It always sounds exciting when someone else's story is being told. How many of you have enjoyed these videos when we tell our client stories? Have you guys enjoyed those? They're so inspiring because they're someone else's story, but the people we're doing the stories of don't feel that inspiring. And I could make a story of every single person in this room and make a really cool video of it that would inspire people. Every single one of you sitting here. True? Same path. Let me bring it all together. Here's my man Carlos, born in 1947 in Jalisco, Mexico. Okay, Mexico's poor now. It was very poor back then. His father was a leader of a mariachi band. Played the violin in a mariachi band. So that's where he got exposure to music. But he had a model out there. Okay, he had a model out there. Richie Valens. You guys remember? Now, why was Richie Valence's model? Here's a Mexican kid who made it in America in the music business. So what does he do? They go to Tijuana. There's no work there. So they move up to San Francisco. So he's in high school. You heard what his buddies in school are playing. They said he practiced and practice and practice. He practiced so hard his fingers would bleed. They used to have to tape his fingers. He would practice, practice. He had this vision of playing on stage with B.B. King. He would send B.B. King tapes of him practicing. BB King didn't know this little Mexican kid in San Francisco from a hole in the wall. But he kept sending them these tapes. And once in a while, BB King said, hey, listen to this tape, kid. Try this. Hoping you'd get rid of him, Kept practicing, kept practicing, kept practicing. One day, 1966, there's a concert up there called Fillmore West. Yeah? Know some of you know. Some of you can't remember, but you were there. <laughs> so what happens? One of the acts gets chronically sick. Guy says, I heard this one kid riffing. He listened to me. Because he had done the disciplines, he was ready for the opportunity. Many people are waiting for their big breakthrough, but they don't do the work ahead of time. He was ready. He had practice. He had surrender. He had intentionality and vision. He had done all that. And then he got the call. So he goes to this local festival. What happened after the festival? Nothing. Nothing happened. A couple years later, a couple of years later, when you're in it, is a couple of years a long time, yes or no? Looking back, is it a long time? From 1966 to 69, is that a long time? No. But when you're living those three years, is it long, yes or no? Yes. One of the guys at Fillmore West was an agent. And the agent was putting the roster together for a little concert they had back east called Woodstock. <laughs> and there was a gap in the concert. And he said, you know what? I saw this kid one time. He's kind of crazy because he's trying to do this Latin American music with rock. But they said, hey, everybody's high, so it doesn't matter. So here is Carlos Santana at Woodstock, where he happened to launch his album, because he'd been preparing for his album for the three years he was on a plateau. Listen, he was on a plateau for three years, playing these goofy little gigs, and he gets called to Woodstock, and it just so happens it's around the time he's ready to launch his album. Carlos today has sold over a hundred million albums, selling music that nobody thinks goes together latin and rock how did these things go together you follow me my favorite quote of his i love this it says god created a circle of light and love so vast no one can stand outside of it this guy is deep deep waters god created a circle of light and love so vast no one can stand outside of it and he goes that's his mindset when he plays his music Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and took a lot of information away from it, as well as a few things that you can instill in your business and life right away. We love hearing from you. So if you want to leave us a review, we'd love to see your reviews on iTunes. It also makes the show more popular. If you're not on iTunes, you can go to the Google Play apps and leave a review on Stitcher or Podbean. And we also want you to know what you like best, because when you say what you like best, we put that into the future shows. So anyway, thanks for doing that we also you know our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can this show has become uh, very successful very quickly and we really appreciate all the folks you have been sharing the show with and uh, if this uh, program sounds like somebody boy i know a friend of mine at work or a person at church or a family member or a friend who could really use this information you know share the podcast with them and uh, see if they can get going with it themselves and that's great so we appreciate all of you who have done that So I want to finish here today the way I always do. And I really mean this when I share it. It's an Irish blessing. It's a very ancient blessing. And it's not just something for little crocheted things up on the wall. This really has stood the test of time. There's lots of Irish proverbs and quotes. But this one, I think, really is the heart of the island and the heart of the people. And I wanted to bring it from my heart to yours today. So may the roads rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time.